Hi everyone, welcome back to Window Chats with Robin, the Instagram live podcast where I sit by my window and chat with very interesting people. Today we have Chad Darnell, I'm very excited. And if you don't catch this live, no worries, this is saved onto IGTV, also available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, it's everywhere. Um, okay, so now, if you watched it last time, it didn't work. So I'm hoping that it works this time. I feel like Chad will have a good connection. Um, you know, no, today, today it's going to work. Throwing out positive vibes. This is the scariest part of the lives. Oh my God, it worked. Works first time. Oh, that was very scary. I know in my th- my instructions now it says three times. Just be prepared. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, this is so exciting seeing your face. Okay. It's exciting seeing your face. Oh, thank you. Right. Hey, proportion wise, it's like hold on. I'm gonna try one thing. Yes, please this fix your framing. Yoga mats. I mean, yoga blocks on top of my laptop, holding the phone because like all my my normal crap is in LA right now. So it's yeah. Hi. And you're so. Where are you right now? Atlanta. I'm in Atlanta. in Atlanta. Okay, okay. I got back uh, Sunday, so. Oh, exciting. And hopefully start shooting. <laughs> That's after a year and a month and four weeks. That's, wow. Yeah. Thanks, COVID. I, but how did that work? Do you mind if I ask? Like, Absolutely. Like, they did everything? Okay. Yeah, no. So, um, uh, we shot uh, The Unchecker's Wife in February of last year. We wrapped, uh, the the week that we wrapped, this word COVID came out, but we didn't, you know, know anything about it. Uh, two weeks later, I, a week later, I was casting Florida Girls in uh, Savannah. I was doing Locals. And they came in, they're like, we might, like, go on hold for a week. And then a week became two weeks. And, and then I was due back in L.A. the middle of March and to pitch a pilot and, um, and start post-production on Undertaker's Wife. And then um, the whole world shut down. And so we had to do post-production on Undertaker's Wife remotely, which was, I, I never want to do that again because the editor would send me like chunks of the film at a time. And then I, you know, I couldn't sit behind him and I couldn't be like, I want to see that take. I want to see that. And so I would just see chunks of time. And it got to the point where I was like, I know we have more takes than this. I know we have better takes than this. And then I have to see all the takes. And it, it took th- three or four months to edit the film that way. And then, once it was locked, then color correction happened. Uh, Eric Schroeder did a beautiful score uh, on the film. And then right now it's in sound mix. And so, um, it, you know, it's just, it took a long time. And of course, as things happen, people stop working. Um, it got to that point where no one was buying new films. So it's like, you kind of catch that wave again. of like, okay, now we're ready to take it back out and sell it again. So it's been a nightmare. And then, so back to, so that was the first part of last year. And then in July, July 1st, 2020, uh, I arrived in LA to start prep on The Intelligent, my, my next film. And um, got out there, wasn't there three hours. And my producing partner handed me a Christmas script and was like, I'm working with this other producer on this. I think you should go ahead and do this one first. And then we'll do The Intelligent right after it back to back. I'm like, okay, fine. But it was a Christmas movie. I'm like, I don't think I'm the best person suited for this. Like, it's like, I'm more into, I kill people in my movies. And, you know, it's more about that. But yeah, sure, Christmas, whatever. But I, I love the challenge of it because it's like, I have a, I now have a stack of, of, of 1980s books, 80s movies. It was, it went back into the 80s. It was a flashback movie. So I studied, you know, you find your way into it and studying the, the, the themes and, and the, 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 
the mechanisms within those 80s movies that made it so special. And I worked for months on the script with a writer and we finished casting the movie and then the whole thing fell apart because of COVID. They went, like, we'll just wait until next year and shoot it. And now those producers aren't working together anymore. And so then I started prepping the intelligent again. Now this is August, August, September. And uh, I'm back in Atlanta at this point because they had planned to shoot the movie in Atlanta um, and started prepping. We were gonna, at that point, shoot the movie in Brooklyn late October, November, and uh, the numbers in Brooklyn shot up, so we couldn't shoot it there. So then I was planning on doing a movie, uh, I, I have a SAG ultra low, $150,000 budget film that I would act in and, and work on. And uh, it's called Installation. And uh, it's a very Hitchcockian uh, thriller that I'm doing with some friends in Palm Springs. And uh, they, my producing partner on Intelligent was like, no, push that until later because of COVID, we'll, we'll do that after the intelligent, we'll do the intelligent in March, April. So in January, February of this year, I'm homeless because Frank Helmer, the of Cobra Kai, he's living in my loft because we're friends from LA. And so I thought that I was gonna be gone January through May, you know, you know in, in California. So I'm homeless, he's got my loft. I wasn't gonna say, well, by the way, now I, you know, I have to stay here. So I went to Savannah and I cast um, a movie that we're not gonna talk about. Um, yeah. It, oh God, mm. yeah, we just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do everybody solid and just not discuss that film. Um, oh my God. It'll, it'll be a great chapter in a book one day. Um, but uh, I finished that and well, I, I did in a way finish it. Um, and then I went back to it later. It was not. It was not a great experience. In fact, it was the worst experience of any film I've ever oh. worked. And happy to say it. Uh, but then at that point, I got back to California in March to start prepping the Intelligent for April. And before I left Savannah, we had our two leads attached, and they're two great names. They were the first two people we went to, and one of them just happened to be in London. And I, I think I can say his name because he's been nothing but supportive and. Uh, uh, I mean, he's not in the film now, so it's it's not like I'm spoiling anything. But it was William Mosley who was on The Royals, and he was in all the Narnia movies, and he's this great actor. He's in London. And so we immediately tried to start, you know, the process of getting his visa working so we can get him here. And that process, you know, it might take five weeks. And you're like, oh, my God, well, it might take five weeks. Well, then, you know, suddenly your, your April shoot has not pushed into, like, mid-April. And so... We're having to finagle all the other actors. And we, you know, our third lead came on at that point. And then the visa didn't come through. And then they kept pushing like, well, maybe next week. Well, maybe next week. So suddenly we're into May. We don't have, an, we don't have a visa. At that point, I was like, we have to recast him, unfortunately. And it was like, William and I were like emailing each other back and forth. I said, this is like breaking up over immigration. He's like, this is exactly what it's like. And uh, he was nothing but kind and supportive. And uh, we ended up recasting with another actor who's now playing the role and uh, it's somebody that William knows very well. And so he was very happy that that's who we cast and uh, very supportive of him. And, uh, but the thing about William Mosley is that if you ask anybody in Savannah, like who's your favorite actor that you've worked with or on a film set? And they always say William Mosley. Out of all of the films I've shot there, like Lizzie, Magic Mike, um, he did a little movie there called The Little Mermaid. And he just apparently charmed the pants off of everybody in that town. Everybody loves William Mosley. And so... Uh, that's how kind he is. And so I was really excited about working with him. We're gonna find something else to work with him on, but 
Um, yeah, so we recast with another actor and then uh, some other things happened and then my actress booked a film and so we had to push a couple of more weeks and then something else happened. And so I'm like, well, I'm going back to Atlanta and to, you know, for the entire month of, what are we in July? Um, so I've been here for about a month and a week and uh, I go back Sunday and hopefully we start pre-production on Monday. But it's, it like, it has, it has been soul crushing this past year, you know, year, a little over a year, because it's been stop and start, and stop and start, and stop and start, and stop and start. And a film like this, it's a, it's a, it is a thriller that is set in grief. So I'm, again, like I have a stack of books about old Hollywood history and grief. So I've been living in that and marinating in that for a year and it sucks. Like, I just wanna, I wanna do a comedy. I wanna do something else that's not this like dark thing that you have they present in, you know, for your designers, for the script, for the actors. And um, yeah, I'll be happy to shoot the movie, but it's just, it's been a nightmare with COVID with all these pushes and stuff. And you can't get actors here. You, you get shut down because of numbers. And, and the scary thing right now is, you know, I'm fully vaccinated. Um, I live alone. Uh, I think the most dangerous thing that I'll do over the next month is fly uh, Sunday. But otherwise, I have a food service that's going to be delivering all of my food in L.A., so I won't be going out to eat. Um, we're going to be doing remote office, so, like, we won't really be seeing each other, you know, much of the crew. And everybody has to be separated. And the thing that, like, I don't think people understand is, like, when they you hear these arguments about, oh, we, but you already have the vaccine. Like, why do you have to wear a mask? If myself or one of my actors gets sick, the movie's done. Hundreds of thousands of dollars down the tube. Yeah. It's done. And like, mm -hmm. we have to be safe. We have to, we can't do anything that puts our lives in danger or because it's, a, it's about the insurance. And if we get sick and infect somebody else, then they could possibly go out and die. So the, so people, I don't think people understand that it, we're not, we're still in the middle of this. We're still where we yeah. were a year ago. So that's been my year. I'm, I was like taking it in and exhausted. I can't complain anymore after hearing everything that you've gone through. This is, I, that's a lot. That's a lot, Chad. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know. I don't know what to say. I'm just like, how many projects you started but didn't finish or then had to revamp? It's, three it's yeah. ridiculous. I prepped three movies that never ended up. And, you know, The Intelligent being one of them, which hopefully we go next week. But, uh, yeah, installation and this 80s Christmas movie. And, and then I've been hired to write movies uh, last year before I started shooting Undertaker's Wife. I was hired to write a script and it has gone nowhere. So it's that, and I, I just got hired a couple of weeks ago to work on a, a, a Lifetime movie and Lifetime is looking at a Christmas script that I wrote back in January. So I've been trying to stay busy and trying to stay, but it's like, again, this the virus has like shut my entire life down. Yeah. This is a, this is a very exciting uh, window chat with Robin. <laughs> no, this is, I mean, no, but it's realistic, right? And I think it's just someone, because you do so much, right? And I reached out to you, it was so funny. I was watching a basic Hallmark movie. I'm like, oh, you cast this. And now yeah. you sent me your buyer, like, I'm actually not casting anymore. I'm just doing everything else. So I just think you're fascinating because you are, your hands and you're just in so many different areas and you just always stay busy. But to know that, even as hard as you try, like there's only so much you can do in these times. I think it's good that yeah. people should know that, right? Yeah. Even the and even to hear 
behind the scenes what's going on, right? Because actors, sometimes they don't know what's happening. What's going on with this production? Is it something I didn't? It's like, there is so much, even more so now beyond our control that yeah. it, it's, it's not about, it's really not about the actors right now, at least what it sounds like. Yeah, and you know, you have all those conversations because the designers are calling you like, what's going on? It's like, I have no idea. Like, it, the communication is key. I mean, it's like, I, I, I do not thrive well in an environment where people are not communicating. And so like when I'm trying to get in touch with someone or text someone and they don't respond back, that just, it's, it's that old line, is it Tara Brock who has the line, your thoughts are real, but are they true? So of course you're, you're wondering like what's going on, what's going on? The movie's not happening, the movie's not happening again. Because you've been, I've been programmed that the movie's not going to happen for a year and a, for a year and a month now. And that's not even counting the other movies that I've been involved with. I had a movie called Darlene where we had a producer who didn't know what she was doing and three years later we found out she had stolen a bunch of money. I mean, it's like, I have not had the greatest track record with, with producing and directing. But it's, you know, again, it's like a lot of independent producers and directors when they are getting started. It's like, we're all in the same boat. I mean, it's very similar stories. It's a lot of learning, unfortunately. Uh, learning from your... I don't want to say mistakes, but experiences that were not the most positive. <laughs> that's exactly that's how you grow, apparently. But I just, I don't know. I want to avoid those, but you can't. Yeah. So, yeah. And so yeah. I, I actually don't know the order. Did you start in casting or were you an actor first? Okay. I'm curious Started about that. An actor and acted all through high school and here in Atlanta and Georgia, we have the governor's honors program and um, uh, state thespian conference. So I was like, I did all of that through high school. When I got into college, I started working as an extras casting assistant for Cynthia Stowell, who was doing a lot of extras casting here in Atlanta in the early 90s. And so I put myself through college working as an assistant and a stand-in and a photo double, uh, graduated, went to work for Turner, and then kind of fell back into extras casting. Okay. The whole, it's, it's funny, like I, I was working at a division at Turner that was like rats on the Titanic because um, I was the first one off and like two months later, the whole division was gone. And it was just like, you could- Wait, did was, you say rats like on the Titanic? Rats on the Titanic, yeah. So you were the first rat to leave I was the first the rat on the Titanic? Yeah. Okay, okay. Just making sure, like, I've never heard that one before. The air that it was like, this division's not gonna be around much longer. And so I, uh, Cynthia uh, asked me to come help her on uh, Ms. Everest Boys for HBO. And so I did that. And then I did the Robert Altman movie, Gingerbread Man. And me being in Savannah, me being an actor, me knowing how to improv with people, Robert Altman loves improv, uh, I ended up becoming one of the location casting directors on Gingerbread Man in Savannah. So that was, an, you know, working directly with Robert Altman three times a day. Location, like wait, location casting director, what, is that more than a location scout? Okay, I'm just, I need to know these roles that you do, okay. Yeah, so uh, what we call here in this, because you're in Vancouver, right? I'm in Toronto. Toronto, so. Yeah. Here in the States, we, we, we call it a location casting director. So like um, uh, Aisha Coley, who did Selma, she's the casting director and I was a location casting director. So like I did all of the roles that were cast in Atlanta. We're still considered casting directors, but trust all those LA and New York people, they claim the title casting director. And like you'll see in the, in, in the opening titles, like those casting directors are the ones that get credit up front. And then at the end, it's like Atlanta casting or location casting. And, and like with Savannah, it's like 
we're not just casting in Savannah. We might be casting all over the Southeast or, you know, locations. So it's always, it's called the location casting director. And so in Atlanta right now, I, I'm not even sure like how many I would say, I think it's probably 10, 12 location casting directors that cast like the bazillion projects that we have in town. And of course, everything's off the tape now just because that's how everything works. Um, but yeah, so I did location casting. Um, and then, but I really, at the time, I just really preferred the extras casting, even though I was making a fifth of the money that location casting pays, which is bonkers, because you're working 20 times harder. And people never get that. They never get no, that. No, can I, I commend, when I saw that you did extras casting, I, there was a special place in my heart for that, because I, now I only watch the extras. Because I'm like, okay, the leads, I get you, you're great. But I love watching the extras, who's pulling focus, who's doing their thing, like who is, I think that's really hard to cast. So I commend it, you on that. The thing is, it's like your job is, you know, yes, the look and making sure that everybody fits the world, the tapestry that you're building. But more importantly, they only care that the background talent isn't driving the crew or the actors crazy. That's really what it comes down to because, and I would, when I was in LA and I learned from Cynthia, like you're on set every day, like you should be there at check-in to make the background feel comfortable. Explain to them what's going to happen during the day. Now in LA, I couldn't do that because I, I was, when I left central casting, I was casting 14 television shows and five feature films. But I try, but my major shows like Alias, Crossing Jordan, Judging Amy, Cold Case, my major, major shows, I tried to get around to them at least once every couple of days. Uh, Alias was easy because it was right. Alias and Crossing Jordan were right down the street. So I, I was able to go by every day. But um, your job was really less more like we had a costume supervisor in Alias that she, if there was one background person who didn't bring the right shoes, you would have thought this person had burned down the soundstage. I mean, like every, de every department head would know about it. Oh my God, the extras again, blah, blah, blah. So your job is less about that. And especially like in small, you know, not to knock the market, but like in Savannah, like when we didn't have a lot of these films coming into town, people are not professional background talent. They have other jobs or they're retired, whatever it is. So they get to be on set and they get to meet these actors. You know, they, they all want to get photos with people. And it's like, you, you, have to, you can't do that. And so my job was more like Wrangler than anything. But, you know, obviously they have to have the right look and, and, on, and all of that. And it, what sucks about background talent here, not the, the talent, but it, casting in the Southeast is we don't have union background. So all of our background talent are basically making just above minimum wage. Right. So we have to develop, as casting directors, we have, extra casting directors, we have to develop those relationships with people so they will keep coming back. And I mean, it was exhausting, but I did enjoy that relationship with my, my extras. I loved being on set with them. I loved hearing their stories. I loved the communication that I had with the crew and I loved being able to sit back and watch it. And like with location casting, not to knock it. I mean, I'm an actor as well, but it's like when you see people on all their socials, like talking about raving about their role and then it's, which God bless. Yes. Do the things like celebrate the win because one win is always going to be the bigger win. But then you see that maybe they just had one line in that episode which is not to knock them, but then those are the same people that knock people doing background work. And I have a real problem with that. Because I, a lot of people that I have cast have been upgraded on set, especially here in the Southeast. Um, I think it's a great up. Sure, don't do background talent forever if you want to be a, a professional working actor, 
but it's a great place to learn how to back to one, back to one, mark, you know, repeating the same motion over and over and over again. It, you, it can be your own little challenge because if you're eating food, you have to match that every single time, which becomes a thing that they don't teach classes in that. And that's something that's very, very important. You learn the lingo on set. You, you meet people on set. And so whenever I hear people like knocking background talent, it's like you clearly don't know what you're talking about because, and then they're like, oh, we well, don't want to do background uh, on that show because then you can never be an actor. I promise you, never in the history of Hollywood has a casting director ever sat down on a show. April Webster has never sat down and watched an episode of Alias and go, wait a second, that person in the background, make a note, don't ever bring that person in for principal part. Because how but the frack are you going to know? I mean, it's like that. This is good to know, though, because again, that's what we're told as actors don't do background because then you'll never be considered for a principal role. So I, I love this conversation. I think it's really, really helpful. It's, I mean, and, and you see the divide, like those ca those casting directors, the CSA, like I'm the casting director, you're the location casting director, and then extras casting isn't casting. That's my other favorite conversation, but there's a whole other topic. But you're not really a casting director. You're an extra, you're an extras coordinator. And it's like, mm. And yet I'm the person that ends up having to find the babies who can talk when you, find the twins um so yeah it's that part of my you know i did it for 30 years um and uh with this last movie that i worked on i was working with a very inexperienced director and they i got i got um what's the word that's not a curse word i got like politically correct words okay okay <laughs> Um, I got screwed on my rate, um, and uh, I was told my rate would be one thing, and then it wasn't. Uh, and then they said that I agreed to work for half of my low-budget rate, and then if I saved them money after, after post-production, and if there was money left over, then the other half of my fee would be a bonus. And I'm like, I have been on your movie since October. Are you high? And so I quit the film, and then a friend of mine came back on as a producer, and I went back for him and I went back for the director as well because I liked the director. But it was like, I know who you have to hire. You're a low budget film in Savannah. These are very specific roles. We have to cast this person locally because you're, you're a SAG low film and you don't have $800 for housing mileage and per diem to bring them in for a couple of days. That's the person you're gonna hire. Listen to me. Otherwise talk to your Seth about getting more money to bring somebody in for that one. And so, and then the producers were like bringing people in that they had met and it was very much not a situation that I was comfortable with. And so yeah. uh, I, I, I like, I, I was not in a good place with that. You know, like when you see things and like as a director, like I'm very protective of my talent as an extras casting director, I was very protective of my talent. I'm very protective of my principal talent, especially here in the Southeast. So when I see people that I think are in some way being taken advantage of, I, I just, I attack and but I, always... I, I think it's, I mean, I love that you're protective, right? Because I think one of the biggest concerns actors have is getting taken advantage of, especially yeah. when you're starting out. So I, I like to know that someone's in the actor's corner. I really like to know that. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to, and especially with the Savannah market, because we're growing the Savannah market, you know, five, six years ago when I did Magic Mike, I couldn't cast a single actor from the town just because they didn't have the experience. And, you know, I went in, I started teaching classes. I started to put a thing called Base Camp Savannah. So I started teaching classes there. I brought in other teachers. Other teachers have come in since then. So we're growing the market. And we can definitely cast a number of people 
out of Savannah. We can't cast an entire movie out of Savannah just because there are certain types that we don't have. Um, but uh, we've definitely grown that market as you are supposed to do. And, and I always, I'm very protective of that market. So like, even if I don't want to do casting, but I find out a movie's going to Savannah and I get asked for it, I will begrudgingly take it just because I want to make sure that the talent is being seen that normally wouldn't get seen. I love your passion. I love that you're just, you're such a good business sense too of training people in your area. I just think that's so smart. I think you have to. I mean, yeah, you probably have to do that, but I don't know if a lot of people would do it. So good for you. For that, yeah, no, absolutely. And th that's the other frustrating thing is like, because I was the, uh, I moved to Savannah to grow the market. You know, I was the casting director on the ground. And then I, these other casting directors that were in Atlanta, they suddenly started getting hired to cast shows in Savannah. And I had an office to read people in. I was doing in-person auditions here in Atlanta. I had an office in Savannah. I'm like, hi, I literally live in the middle of the historic district. Why are you getting the job? And when you have 20 other jobs and why, you know, please like, there's not that many films that come here. So like over the years, that frustration kind of built and built and built till it was, there was one afternoon where it's like, I didn't want to be in casting anymore. And right. I after I wanted to be a writer, I wanted to be a director. And it was right after uh, Thanksgiving, I was driving back to Savannah and I just, I made that turn. If anybody knows Georgia, it's like, I made that turn from 75 to 16. And as soon as I made that turn, I was like, I just went, went into a rail. Like, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be casting anymore. I don't want to do this. And uh, I was getting ready to go into production on Hedwig and the Angry Ants here in Atlanta. And so um, I think that, that frustration fueled my entire performance and, and rehearsals and everything, you know, for the next two months. Um, and then it was like, there was a clearing, you know, that was, I, shortly thereafter, I wrote Undertaker's Wife. Um, I started booking a couple of acting jobs here and there as an actor. Um, and we, yeah, I saw your reel. You're pretty good. Okay. That, thanks. But it's like, you know, there's definitely been that, that, that history of like, oh, he's a casting director. And he wants to be an actor, dance, monkey, dance. I, I definitely feel that like for years, there was that sort of like, that sort of, there was, you know, a, a little bit of animosity. I know there has been with cer certain casting directors, um, but it was, you know, you want the best actor for the job. And the funny thing is as of recently, you know, you go out, you audition a hundred times and then you finally book something. And it's only been recently with COVID that we are having to cast far more guest star spots, series regular, recurring, you know, the kids from Outer Banks were all cast from here. And um, uh, we, we are definitely now responsible for, for casting bigger and bigger roles. And so, and my agent does not tend to like want to mess with co-star roles. Like he's more focused on booking the bigger stuff. And so since January, I've had much bigger auditions and I've gotten closer and closer and closer. And then as of, uh, three weeks ago, I was up for a role that it was down to me and a name and the name ended up getting it. But they were like, tell him not to make any plans this afternoon because we may have, need him to go COVID test. And then you get that call at four four fifty five, like the name took it. And so, yeah. you know, and it sucks because also like I can't, be, again, the year and, and time that I've been, I've been back and forth to LA and it's like, I can't audition for anything when I'm prepping my movie, even though we're on hold for a month because I might fall in a window where this Marvel thing, it's like you're reading now, but it's not gonna play for three months from now. So it's another reason why I'm, just, I'm excited to get this movie done, just so I can start focusing on my, 
my acting life again. I'm excited to like to see it. I love, love seeing when I know someone. That's the thing. I was like, ah, I know someone's name in the credit, or I just love seeing what people do, especially around this time when everyone's just been so restricted creatively. And then you know they do that film and you go, oh, there we go. All that creative yeah. energy that's been building up for this COVID time frame. It's just on the screen. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. But can I can I circle back a bit? You said you were a stand-in, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Can I can I ask you what your experience is with that? I'm just so intrigued by it. I loved it because I was uh, the first time that I did a stand job. I was uh, Jeremy London. It was a TV show called Off Flyway. and we. I was going through college, so I was like his mute friend. I was always around him. I just never spoke. And so one day they brought me in, and they were doing it was. They shot in Bass, if anybody knows, in Atlanta, Bass High School. It was a high school at the time. And now it's a loft building. When I moved back to Atlanta, I lived in the loft building. Um, it was like full circle moment. I'm like, this is the room that I shot a scene in. And now I sleep. Um, and uh, um, we, we, we shot a classroom scene that day. And then they moved into like an office for like, an, it was like a scene with Sam Waterston and a bunch of uh, lawyer types. So it had nothing to do with the school anymore. Just for location purposes, they moved into an office. And uh, one of the DPs said, can you get him to hang back? We want to use him as a stand-in for one of the actors. And so they liked what I did. I was listening. And so they called Cynthia. and was like, hey, we want to use him as a recurring stand-in, like whenever we need a, um, a uh, utility stand-in. And so, uh, so I got, I, and then my hair was growing out. So suddenly Jeremy and I started looking exactly alike. And so I ended up uh, becoming his stand-in when I was in class. And... Um, uh, and I switched off with somebody else. And then I became his photo double for a lot of stuff. And we were the same size. And uh, and then from there, I just each, I, I started working independently with Cynthia. Like I was the point person on a show myself. And then another show, like I was Matthew Modine's uh, stand-in and double on a movie called Fluke. Uh, Eric Stoltz's stand-in and double. Um, Dennis Leary, Neil Patrick Harris. Um so I had I had some like really great experiences doing that, and it's like again like you're learning so much about being on camera because you have to match every movement that the actor's doing. So I loved it, highly recommend. That, it. I I know I think the standing. So someone was talking to me about that the other day, and I feel like that's such invaluable experience. Again, yes, you won't have the footage to show for it, but you're learning from the person you're standing in for, in exactly. a sense as well. Yeah. yeah, close to everything, and a lot of times the. You know, you're being directed, and I do this again. And a lot of times, they'll have you run the dialogue on set. So it's like it's a great opportunity that you would never get, like in a class setting. Anyway, do you memorize the dialogue? Do you, you're like off book as well, or how does that work? The funny thing is, it's like especially like when I, um, I would after you run after I run a scene a couple of times moving, I have it down, and um, especially like running sides with an actor, like I will give the, the actor you know 110 percent. So they have something to play off of. But by the third time I've read through a set of sides, I have the lines down, which is hilarious because then when I have to self-take, it may take me six hours to get the lines. And I don't know what the thing that it's like, I know the lines, why, why are they not there? It's such a, it's a different pressure situation, right? It's such a, a mental block sometimes. I 100% I, I agree with what you're saying. And I think it's because in the, in the moment, you're relating directly opposite the other actor. So it's like when you're giving them a beat and they're giving you something back, that what's, that's what prompts the line. But when you're sitting on your couch, like trying to remember what the next line is, because there's no, you're just running the lines. It's mm -hmm. hella difficult. For but sure. Yeah, a lot of times we would run the, 
most of the time. So we'd run the, the dialogue just so they had a blocking rehearsal. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So did you start writing um, in terms of, like, were you always a writer? Or did you yeah. feel like, I want to write and write myself in a role? Because that's what I like to do. <laughs> like, I, I want to uh, do this role, but I don't want to audition. <laughs> I started writing as a, uh, in, in high school. I started writing, you know, creative writing, and then I wrote for a newspaper in Georgia called The Purple Cow, which is no longer in existence, but it was a newspaper that went to all the high schools in the metro Atlanta area, and then, like, different, like, record stores, um, and then I, you know, I started writing plays then. I, I wrote a play in my senior year in high school that won an award at the Thespian Conference that year, and then my focus in college was uh, filmmaking, screenwriting. That was my track. You either had to make a film like you had to go the filmmaking route or do documentary film and screenwriting. That, that was the two at the time at Georgia State. That was the two. <laughs> you, that's, the, that's how you went. A or B. And, okay, cool. Yeah. And since I was already working in film, you know, I was, you know, working on $100 million budget, you know, as a stand-in or like what I was already on set. Like, and I had acted in several student films that were disasters because they're all fighting each other. Like everybody wants to be the director. I was like, I'll do, I wanted to do the screenwriting anyway. And I wanted to, you know, I didn't really have any interest in documentary filmmaking at the time. Um, and then when I graduated and I went to work for Turner, I accidentally ended up in the documentary nonfiction series and specialist department. And hand to God, the people that we had been studying were now people that I would be walking down the hallway and introducing them to Pat Mitchell. I mean, it was like, this is the worst thing. All my, my teacher, and I, I just actually emailed him for the first time in almost 20 years or longer, 25 years. And I said, uh, remember how I would sleep through documentary filmmaking? And how, you know, I would, he's like, oh yeah, I remember you. He's like, oh yeah, I finally got I remember got you. I remember. Um, so it was, yeah, it was like I, all through documentary, I slept, cheated my way through documentary filmmaking. And then not, not three months later, I was working in documentary film. Classic karma, okay. Yeah. Same thing with uh, geography. Like I, I hated geography. And then I get on Alias. And it's like the bitch is in a different country every episode. Only going to clubs where sexy people are, because that's where I, that guy. With two when I saw that you did extras for Alias, I thought that must have been so. They're everywhere. It's not. I don't know how you did that one. Uh, it was the most fun. I mean, it was like I love Crossing Jordan because we. I mean, we're still like just recently the whole cast got. Yeah, together. You did a thing. You did a little reunion. Oh, it was so yeah. cute. Okay. You did a reunion for a, as a benefit, but um, with Alias, I mean we. It was, it was a crew like I've never met before. Like we would get so excited when the limited versions of the script would come out. So just the department heads. I mean, like, and usually it was like a Friday night. It's like Friday night, like we'd get an email, like the limited scripts in your box. And I would like go like driving at midnight to read it like under a lamp in the Disney parking lot. Just to, we were all so excited about the show. Everybody loved JJ. It was a great cast. There was no drama anywhere on the set. Um, and, and we, just genuinely loved the show. And so it was, it was so much fun to get to work on something like that. We, I think we all- I haven't watched, have you rewatched it? Does huh? it still hold up? I feel like it still holds up. I don't know, I haven't watched it, yeah. Rewatching it uh, last year during COVID. I mean, I'm just, uh, I, I watched it at the gym. So like, I haven't been on the elliptical in a while, but uh, I'm, I'm to season four now and uh, of five. Um, but we did, it was like the show, it, it fulfilled the mythology at the end of the fourth season. And the fifth season was like, oh, we all were like, eh, this is okay. 
we, we can we can stop now. <laughs> it's hard because sometimes you don't want to stop because it's so good. Yeah. But then the other times you kind of have to stop because you know there's no other way to end it. I don't, I don't know. I don't envy the people that have to decide to end a series or anything like that. That's tough. A pregnant spy fighting people. I mean, it was like that. Yeah, that, that's probably, yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, we all, I, we all love the storytelling. And so, you know, it's a, and they fulfilled the mythology arc at the end of season four. So it's like, what now? <laughs> so, and, it was a choice. Uh, we move on from there. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, if I was the actor, I would say I don't just keep, especially when there's no drama on a set. I'm like, I will play this role forever. So I get where the actors are coming from. And maybe the crew is what, like, just if it's a fun thing to work on, you kind of don't want the project to end because you never know if you can get the same people back. Yeah. That's, will, that's really the only thing I think. Um, JJ Lost happened at some point, like season three, I think, three or four of Alias. So Lost started then. A lot of our directors were split and going over to Hawaii and doing that. And then um, when we wrapped, when we got canceled, uh, most of most of the entire crew went to brothers and sisters. So they all stayed together after, after it went down. Well, I mean, I, that's kind of... I was, I was out of extra casting at that point, so mm. that was a great time. You're doing your other 500 jobs, uh, so... Yeah, yeah. My gosh, I'm just like taking in your life right now and I'm exhausted. Uh, <laughs> it's just so much. How do you, seriously, how do you do it without going like, that's I, my descriptor. Monday, because Monday would be a really good time to ask me. <laughs> because right now it's just like, I am just, I am so stressed right now about starting prep on Monday. That That's just, I've got a lot of unanswered questions and um, I'm just super, super stressed right now. Like I don't know where I'm staying Sunday night. And yeah, just little things like, you know, uh, bigger issues are being dealt with. But it's like right now, I'm just like, okay, I just, I just need questions answered. I need communication. I don't need to know the plan. I just need to know there is a plan. And right. so, uh, yeah. But I mean, that's again, that's every film. That's not, this is nothing new. This is every film. Mm -hmm. For sure. I hope it works out for you. I'm, I'm very invested. Okay. Yeah, but I do, like, that's the thing. Like, you're just so... You're so full of like, I just, I don't know. I think you really love the industry and I just want you yeah. to succeed. So I just hope it all works out for you because you've been dealt, uh, I mean, as have we all, but just a, it's been a tough, tough go for you for the past yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And when I got to LA in March, I was like, the first couple of weeks that I was there, I was like, yeah, you know what? I should probably start looking for a studio apartment here because, you know, with the writing and the directing, like I should probably... And it's not the Los Angeles. And I, sorry if everybody on here is from LA. Um, but it is not the LA that I lived in for 16 years. And I mean, by the end of the month, I was like, get me the hell out of here. And, and then the thing that it's just, it's, you know, COVID times have hit people hard. And that's evident all over the city. And I just, I don't, I didn't really feel safe. Um, and of course, I say this. Two nights ago, there was a woman stabbed to death and disfigured oh. right outside my apartment. And that's, and that's a whole other thing. It's like, it's crime is, is up in Atlanta and oh. it's bad. It's bad, bad, bad. But it's also what's, what's frustrating about our, our, I mean, everybody knows about what's going on with our city and state. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like the inmates are running the asylum. Um, but it's 
I went to the vigil last night and there's a lot of information that hasn't come out in the press that would be helpful and that I don't understand why they're not sharing information. Um, but again, back to safety. It's like, I just didn't feel safe in LA. Yeah. I've, I weirdly feel safer here, even though that just happened. Um, but um, I, I've decided like, I, I don't want to split my time. It was exhausting having a place here in Atlanta and Savannah like literally having two sofas and like two everything, like clothes in each closet. So you just like went from apartment to apartment. Yeah. I don't do that anymore. So uh, I've decided that like, you know, Atlanta is definitely home for the foreseeable future. But um, that, that's what that, this, these past few months in LA have taught me. I mean, there you go. Life lessons uh, that, you know, I, I don't know how to respond. I'm still kind of concerned for your living situation. Uh, so it was, oh, interesting. Okay. It's like, but that, you know, what was, what's weird is like, we don't think about these things until they're, they're so close to home. But like, um, they released a photo and they're like, if you've seen, if you know anything, call Bubba. Oh my God. And Ooh. so and she was crossing through the crosswalks, like right in front of my, that's the last photo that was taken of her. And so there was one reporter who was doing a really good job covering the story. And so I messaged him and I was like, what time was, did she go through the crosswalks? And he said, um, they won't release that information. And I just, became unhinged and I was like well don't you think that would effing be helpful information to know like why are you just gonna send a picture and be like at some point last night and then and they were saying that she was found at one o'clock in the morning well what time was she in the crosswalks where seven minutes later she was killed and it's like this kind of information isn't shared i don't know where i got off on this on your your window chats conversation. i don't know i just i was going to say this is the darkest chat i've ever had told you and i'm gonna well, i wasn't i didn't know how dark it could get i'm almost impressed at this level of darkness you have okay uh, sorry i apologize one of us can talk so i missed what you were saying but uh the surface with me getting dark but it's like oh you know gosh i gotta write I got to write your stories and like that's, I mean, actually you write your stories. You're the writer. Uh, just, that's a film. This is a, this is a TV series. Yeah. Oh. But you just like in any city, like they should be discussing crime and you know, as crime is up all over the world at this point, like they should be discussing like, yeah, at 12, 15 AM. I, I mean, I can't say anything. Look, I, I live in Canada where our vaccine rollout was uh, interesting. So it, it's just, it's a lot of stuff, right? And, you know, again, like you were saying before, communication. I like communication. I like effective communication, but I, I, it is what it is. So I don't know. I, I always feel so powerless. I'm kind of just like, eh, not gonna, not gonna do anything. Just kind of keep my voice inside. But I like that you're vocal. Uh, I admire that. I've never not been vocal, uh, much to my detriment. Um, but I think that talking about Atlanta, like people, a lot of times we get calls like, or, or, you know, like, what's it like, you know, living in Atlanta? Because a lot of people from LA have been moving here. It's a beautiful city. I love my city. I love the culture that we have here. I, you know, and I, and I do feel very, very safe when I'm out. I just would never walk out at night. But um, unfortunately, that's when that happened. And um, yeah, we, especially everything that we have going on in Atlanta right now. And a lot of the actors that are on shows are in buildings, you know, nearby. And um yeah, Atlanta's a, you know, just like Savannah's a growing community and crime's gonna be everywhere. I feel like that was a PSA to live in Atlanta. Live in Atlanta. Uh, 
All right, so let's end on a little more of a positive note because that was fun. Uh, (laughs) But if there's like a little, maybe like a positive or a word of like just some advice you would give to people starting out in the biz. So anything to, if I could pick your brain for that. You know, I used to always say that if you can imagine yourself doing something else, go do that. I hear that a lot. Uh, but then I think it was like your window chat that you had with somebody recently that was like, no, don't do that. Like, you know, so I was like, maybe I shouldn't say that anymore. Um, <laughs> I, I think it was your window chat that you had like a couple of weeks ago where somebody was like, they were insulted that somebody would say that. I was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't say that anymore. I, uh, you can say, this is your opinion. You can say whatever you want. The whole point of talking to different people is to get different perspectives, right? So yeah. Um, yeah. this is you, uh, Mr. Chad Darnell, your thoughts. Uh, the, I mean, the biggest piece of advice, and of course I get it all the time, like, oh, so-and-so is moving to Atlanta. Like, what would you recommend? Classes, 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 number one. I mean, that's first and foremost. If, if I look at your resume and I don't see that you have any experience, the first thing I'm going to look at is see where you've trained, especially if you're in Atlanta. If you haven't trained at one of the major studios in town, I'll watch your tape, but if it's not good, I'm not looking at it for another year because there are hundreds of people that are training, that are out creating their own content, that are um, staying fresh. And it's, you know, when you send in a self-tape, make sure it's professional, that we can hear you, that's got good lighting, that, you know, all, all the things. Um, that we can hear your reader, that your reader isn't a 12-year-old girl and you're doing a love scene. You know, that, that, that just really weirds me out. Like, never have a child as your reader. It's just, unless it's supposed I mean, to be- I almost want to do that if it's a comedy audition. I have to find the child, but I very much like that. <laughs> That's it, so creepy. It's so weird. And especially like when you're having to like show the audition to a director, because it just takes you out of the scene, you know? And they think it's acceptable. And sometimes it's like the good professional actors that are doing it. And it's like, why, why did you do that? You just shot yourself in the head. Like that's, no, don't do that. Um, yeah, classes I think are the biggest one. I mean, I, I've studied since I was a little kid and then, and I'm constantly reading, um, you know, Ivana Chubbuck, uh, uh biographies on directors are really helpful too because you get into their headset of like what they're looking for and how they deliver. Um, John Batham has two really good books about directing that are really, really helpful for actors. Um, and you know, just, just reading biographies on actors are really, really good. Uh, I think that's a great suggestion. I never thought of reading a biography of a director. Because yeah, you know, I always read about the actors, but also because it's really hard. I don't know if you find this when you direct, but I find it's really hard to direct people because I have a vision in my head. I don't know how to say this. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but also how do, how do I explain my thoughts so i would love to especially if it's directors you want to work with yeah to to read those books yeah for sure yeah and uh, what's been really shocking is like reading uh, i read william friedking's uh biography and sydney lamette recently and they were not good guys like they were really not good with women back in the 70s and like uh both slapping actors like things that you could never but then and then the actor later was like thank you like the, at the end of the, the exorcist when the guy falls down the stairs like he wasn't able to do it and so freaking walked over and he's like do you trust me he's like yeah and he slapped him he's like do it I'm like uh that would not that would be a sag violation now but i mean that's just how it was done back in the day but again lessons to what not to do on set don't slap your actors um uh 
but really interesting. The funny thing is, I, I again, going back to like why I loved extras casting more than principal casting is I always, when I was in LA in the 2000s, I always looked at principal casting. I, like I didn't have to do that with Gingerbread Man because it was improv. So I wasn't telling them what to do. But I always, in my weird little head, I looked at, I looked at casting as telling actors what to do. And I have a movie called Joey Stefano that I've been trying to get made for 20 years. Um, and I, you know, I was talking to different directors about it, but they were never getting what the film was. And I was working for an actress at the time, and she's like, you have to direct this film. And I remember saying to her, and we were driving back from Comic-Con, uh, I remember saying to her in the car, I said, but I don't want to tell actors what to do. And she goes, that's not what directing is. And I said, well, I don't know anything about cameras or editing. She goes, that's why you hire a DP, and that's why you hire an editor. And that day was the day that it clicked in my head. I was like, oh, maybe I can do this. And then a couple of months later, or maybe it was right after, I, I did a film called Away with a bunch of friends where we like, I, I was a writer on it, I was an actor in it, and it ended up never getting done, um, but uh, post-wise, um, which is a whole other. So it's just sitting there? And it kills me. <laughs> it kills me. This sounds like you hire someone and get yeah. them to finish. Okay. Yeah, well, it was what the, the, so the director on this film, he directed, he directed the entire thing, and then he wrote half the stories, I wrote the other half. And so, like, but I was learning as I was on set, he didn't know how to talk to, uh, to actors. And, um, sorry, you taught me how to do this do not disturb, and now it's coming through. It's okay. It's okay. I got a call from Montreal the other day. I don't know how they got through. It happens. Um, I love the do not disturb. Uh, oh, but. yeah, thanks. Oh, my God, stop it. Um, okay. uh, I feel really bad for whoever's trying to call you. It's like your mom. It's like, leave me alone. Okay. No, she's on, she's on the feed here. Oh, my God, stop oh, okay. it. Nanny is about to arrive. I'll call you then. Thanks. Oh you God. can't get through. Um, sorry. Uh, I, no, it's I, okay. Well, uh, I hate text messaging more than terrorism. Um, uh, and I'm not a fan of... How do you really feel? Okay. <laughs> Um, what was I just saying before all of that happened? Uh, oh, directing. So he was, he did not, he was a commercial director and he wasn't a, he didn't know how to talk to actors. Oh, interesting. So all of the actors were coming up to me going, what does this mean? You know, what would you do this way? And so I started directing them. And one of, so one of the actors is a friend of mine uh, and he is an adult entertainer. Um, but he was like, he was playing a role as a bartender. And I was sitting with him uh, one day, we were getting drinks in, in West Hollywood. And at that point, and this was two, this was 15 years ago. So whenever that was, um, 14 years ago, it was four, oh my God, 14 years ago. And uh, just, it, it keeps coming, uh, 14 years ago. Uh, and, the, Someone... and so I'm trying to see your face. So um, uh, the messages are coming down over your face uh, on the phone. Um, so he, uh, I was ready to move back to Atlanta at that point. And, um, and he's like, you need to go out and direct your own thing. And I said, well, the only thing I've ever wanted to direct was Joey Stefano. And so that's how the whole conversation started. And when I came back to Atlanta and I started working, um, you know, here, I wanted to do the extras casting and principal casting with Cynthia Stilwell because she started a company back up. And I said, it needs to be in your name because I don't want to be like Stilwell and Darnell casting. Cause I wanted to be a writer actor. Like I wanted to like, I'll just go in when I can. And then, um, but it was a great opportunity cause I got to learn alongside Ava DuVernay on Selma. 
And so I got to watch her with the actors. And I, I really, and that was her first big feature film. You know, she'd done a couple of, of little independents, but it was really interesting, like watching her. She said, like, let me find an action verb. I remember like, and like, I, it was, I got like a masterclass watching with her. And I felt, and Cynthia and I read the talent and she would come in for callbacks. Then on Magic Mike, on Magic Mike, it was basically all me working with the talent. So sometimes we would read the scene, sometimes we would improv. And everybody's hitting me up. Everybody in LA is waking up right now. So, um, uh, so that's when I really learned, oh, it's about working with the actor. And it's about like working the scene through with them. And you're an actor, so you know how to do this. And um, that was that was a game changer for me, especially so, okay, my working working the scene through. What scenes did you work the scene through on Magic Mike, if you don't mind my asking? All of them. You just you All did your, your did no. You, did you have any signature moves that are thrown into the movie that we should know about? <laughs> Look no. out for uh, the funny thing was the there was one role that we cast that ended up getting cut out of the film. It was called Random Stripper. That was the guy's name. And so, like, I had to read, like, all these strippers. Soderbergh wanted to read all these real strippers from Swinging Richards here in Atlanta. So I had to go into this club and, like, talk to all these guys to come in and read. And God bless them. None of them are ever going to win an Oscar. Um, and then we ended up casting Billy Rylick, who is a model. And he was known for being the gardener on Ellen's show. And so, out of L.A. So it was more of a stunt casting because he had been, he wanted to be in the movie. Um, but that was funny. Like you had to like put on music and have them dance around and, uh, uh, and it was just a really great opportunity. And, and the, but the thing that really I loved about that experience was that Channing would come into my, in Savannah when I got, we, I cast out of Atlanta. And then when I got to Savannah, cause I did the principals and the extras on Magic Mike, which was the easiest film I've ever had to do. I mean, we had days where we had 3000 women, but, all 3,000 showed up <laughs> because it was a free show. And, That's but, funny. Um, uh, it was easy, easy film to do. Uh, but he would come into my office like after he would rehearse with Allison and he would want to sit down and watch the auditions because he and Reed wrote the script. And so they would take lines from the actors that we were going to cast out of their improvs and, and rework that into the script. And like Kimberly Drummond came in and read for this one role where she was like this thug scary little girl and she ends up playing this beautiful mom caroline she's she's the girl that um uh orlando uh what's his name orlando child of gambito oh. um the singer the actor from atlanta what orlando right somebody say the name i can uh, only think of orlando bloom and that is definitely not who you're talking about yeah uh, that's singer um uh he, um, Orlando Jones? No, that's not right. Um, Just call him Orlando. It's like Cher. Orlando. Just Orlando. There you go. Done. Um, but he improv this song on the set. And, you know, she went from two different, completely different characters. And it's all because she was this great little actress who did this incredible scene where she, like, we thought she had a knife in her back pocket to playing a divorcee in a, in a beautiful dress and makeup. So, um, yeah, talent always shines out in, a, in an audition. What were we talking I would, about? No, I don't know, but I really want to see that audition tape. Wow. I wonder if I still have those tapes anywhere. I mean, do you keep audition tapes? Because you know how sometimes you see on YouTube, this is the, okay, you do. I that, do. I love seeing that stuff. EcoCast has been, we did that through Cast It, which, not a fan. Uh, especially 
like in 2013, because um, everything had to be uploaded individually. And um, it was a nightmare, a nightmare, when, especially when Donald Glover, think, where did I oh, get Oh, Donald that? Glover, okay. Orla I'm Orlando. Orlando, okay. Where the hell did I get Orlando? Yeah. Uh, Donald Glover, amazing human being. Um, and grateful for him bringing work to Atlanta. Um, uh, we, um, sorry, you said not to read we were the talking. Topic. We were talking about um, upload, you talked about cast upload, it, and we were, Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. do keep all my auditions. And EcoCast is great because I can, they stay there forever in my profile as a casting director. So like, there's been a lot of auditions. Like I have a friend who just auditioned for uh, a movie that uh, one of my actor friends, who's pro she's producing a film in Salt Lake City. And so his agent said, oh, so-and-so is up for this role. I'm like, done, I got this. And so like, I emailed her, I'm like, I have every audition he's ever done. If you wanna see more of him, I love him. You wanna work with him, he's great. And so, so, so here's actually, I love that you brought this up and then I'll let you go because I realized we were talking for almost an hour. Um, so, would you ever not give an actor a role based on terrible past auditions? No, never. Okay, that's, see, this is good to know. Uh, because you know, like everyone's kind of learning and I can tell you my audition tapes and you go, what was that choice? Oh God, so there's several people from Savannah on here right now. If I did that, none of them would have ever worked because, you know, that's the thing about building a market. You've got to go in and it's like, yeah, these first, this first year of auditions, it's like, it's like going into war. It's like, this is going to be a bloodbath. But eventually they get better. And, you know, that, yeah, no, I get excited when I see good auditions that, you know, that's what you hope for, that they've gone and got training, that they've gotten the experience. And then they come back later and it's like, where the hell was this person all along? No, I love that. When I will not cast a person for is if they're rude to the casting assistant or they're crazy. Because this goes back to background talent. Because, you know, like, people coming up like, oh, he's weird. Like, and, like, because that's the thing. Like, you don't want the weird person on set. There was one actor on a Daniel Radcliffe movie that I've cast. And I've cast two of them, so I'm not going to say which movie it was. But uh, it was a last minute. Harry Potter 12. There you go. Okay. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> uh, so uh, it was a, we had, like, a week of prep to shoot this movie. And uh, I knew most of the actors that we cast, but there was this one actor I didn't know. And normally I like to ha I always like to read people in the room. And so, and I loved the director, the director was awesome. But like, I had my choice and I'm like, this is the guy you need to go with. I know him, he can kill it. He's done this before. It was very specific type, very, very, very specific type. And the director wanted to go with this other guy. And he was, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He has worked in a ton of shows, but like we were shooting on a live airfield where you're not allowed to smoke and he's going around smoking and it was like, you're going to turn us all into crispy critters. And then he tried to fight with another actor to, he said, oh, you and I should change roles. You and I should change roles. I'm like, that's not how any of this works. And then he physically assaulted one of the actors. And I'm like, and this is why I always do callbacks. And this is why I want to read people in the room because off of the self tape, you don't know if that's their first read or their 72nd read, which is a huge thing. Like I, I do not like casting straight from tape. I always want to do a callback situation, A, to make sure they're not crazy, but B, to make sure that they can act. And there have been several situations where we were forced into a corner because of the amount of prep time where we cast off of tape and it wasn't great. But that's interesting too, right? Because people now have the opportunity to do it so many times. And I think the more I talk to my colleagues too, 
it's kind of like you shouldn't actually get used to doing so many takes because if this was an in-person audition maybe maybe you get the second or third one maybe but really you just got to be ready to go because when you're on set you're not going to get 70 takes to do a your scene no. so yeah and like i will there i have a self tape uh company that i go to here in town just because it's easy like i don't have to think about it they're good actors so they're going to read opposite me it looks great uh, it's a kind of a standard format so a lot of actors have been cast off of their look so i know that the producers and casting directors are looking at their stuff and are familiar with it um but yeah i mean even me like if i go in and after the third take i don't get it i'm like i i will end it because i'm like we'll just do the third because it's like it's not you're forcing something that's not there and if you go 72 takes and you didn't get it in the first 71 chances are it ain't going to take you the first one when you're on set and yeah. Sometimes it's just not your day, but um, especially, it's mainly the inexperienced actors though. That's the thing. It's, it's usually, the, like you look at the resume, it's like, oh, well they blew this away in this audition. And then they get on set and they, they, they clam up. Yeah. But they'll never clam up again, I'd like to think, right? You have to, if you have that first clam up and you're like, that will never happen again. Mentally yeah. prep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's always your first time on set, your first couple of times on set, it is, it is a weird situation to be in where it's like, you, you know, you may be around a bunch of extras or they, or they, you may not, they may keep you in your little honey wagon room. And then suddenly you're taking a set and you're like, there's one quick rehearsal and then bam, you're off and doing it. And you're so discombobulated, like you have no reference for anything. And sometimes they still haven't explained to you what the scene is about, which is a lot of shows that shoot in Atlanta. Ozark, um, uh, any of the Marvel things, like they're not going to explain to you what's happening. It's that's just so interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. But how that's... like that, like they would the auditions. It would literally just be the lines, like no context. Yeah, it's I, and I and you're not and I you know everybody each casting director is having to uh, is having to work within the confines of production. I get that. Every show is different. I had one uh, uh, one show that I cast uh, a series where, you know, maybe only one or two lines of dialogue for the character. Maybe it was like party woman. Um, and so we would have them do the line and then I would have them do some improv so they could see that they could act. And like they were incensed that I had them improv. I only want to see the line. And I'm like, it takes me back to my very first audition, which was for In the Heat of the Night back in the day. And my very first audition was More Biscuits. Like how- That, that was, delivery. More Biscuits. Tears. That is Oscar worthy. Thank you. It got me a call back and I got to meet, Carol O'Connor was directing the episode. It was one of the few episodes that he directed. And uh, he did not, apparently, he was not taken with my More Biscuits line. Doesn't my, that make you feel, you remember the Kramer these pretzels are making me thirsty line where you go in, you go, what? I mean, they don't make a meal out of the more biscuits, but it's right. just so funny. It's so funny. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least you got a call back. There you go. Baby steps. Uh, that's so <laughs> funny. I love that. Yeah. I right, see. Here's the problem. I said my season two window chats would be less than half an hour. And then I get sucked into talking with you because look, I knew when we met on clubhouse, I just, your personality is awesome. And I just love hearing your stories. You I'm are a storyteller and okay. you are passionate and I love it. Oh I'm my gosh. Because that was, 
you know, and that was, yeah, when we met on Clubhouse, I was still in LA, like we were doing this. And, but you know, I, I think these are different because it's like th those chats like on Clubhouse, when they go for five hours long and there's a hundred people in, in the room, they're talking and it's just a lot of people like to hear themselves talk and they're not being specific about the information. It's not really helpful. It's a lot. It's a lot. I prefer the one-on-one the -on -one. and yeah. other people listening. That's fine. Uh, thank you for your comments. I'm not ignoring them. I have read every one of them. I find them entertaining. I apologize. There was a question that I didn't end up getting to, but I think that person left anyway. So it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> I saw the question, but then you were talking, you know, you got to like host and go, yeah. well, I want to let him finish and then I'll get to the question. But the person who asked the question did not have the patience. So it's like, they will yeah. never have their answer. That is what happens. I'm done with him. Done. Uh, but thank you so much for doing this. And I just look forward to following your journey because I just, I see good things for you. I see big things. Yeah. Thanks. You're just gonna, you're, I literally see you writing, directing, and starring in like all your feature films. I don't know why. I just think you're going to do everything. Thanks. I don't know if you want to, but I just think you will. Okay. I, yeah, I know. I mean, that's the goal. It's like with, with Instale uh, The Intelligent, um, I just want to direct it. And it's like, like I told you earlier, I was like, I just want to get this movie done. Because it, again, it's, it's about grief. The movie is about grief. And it's like, I've been marinating in this for like over a year. I was like, I'm ready to let this thing go. And, uh, um, but it's... Uh, oh, someone wants to know the name of the self-taping service. So I don't want to ignore that question. There you are said in town, but I go to get taped off of Northside. Okay. Really close to me. Um, uh, um, you were talking about the film that you're, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm, uh, when, I, uh, when I get done with that, installation's the next one I'm doing. And it's funny, like I, oh, they're in, they're in LA. But I mean, it's, it's a stylized Hitchcock film in, in the every, like it's very, very Hitchcockian. So like we've actually like taken little Ken dolls and like storyboarded the film out. Uh, so I'm very excited to, to do that film. And it's, it's had a really, it's one of those scripts where like every actor we've sent it to is like, yes, I'm in, I'm in. And so I'm excited to get that one done. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm excited to see it. We'll Dark. probably be in theaters by then, right? Because, you know, uh, they'll be open. Do you guys have any theaters open right now? Probably, but I have very little desire to go to one. Yeah, I'm just used to, you know, having my own thoughts and feelings in my private space, uh, not smelling and hearing people eat. I don't know why I've just decided to be disgusted by it now. I'm like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. For the the, the germaphobe in me is coming out and I go, I'm just going to stay inside. Um, <laughs> that, okay. the next month, I'm not going anywhere. It's like, yeah. yeah. But yes, when I feel comfortable and if it's in, I don't know, will your stuff come to Canada? It will. will. Seeing this? Oh, will? Okay, cool, cool, cool. That, I can tell you that the one I'm about to do will. Um, okay. I just can't tell you how yet. No, that's fine. I'll just do that like selfie and be like, I know him. Uh, I get excited. Okay. Yeah, there's uh, there, they should be announcing next week once we start shooting uh, how it's coming out. So it's, yeah. Out there in the ether. Yeah. I like that word. Yeah. I'm really bad at ending these things. I apologize. I, cause oh. again, I, I just keep wanting to talk to you. And <laughs> again, I did pitch this as shorter. I struggle with pitching. No. Struggle is real. But I'm so excited to see you face to face. This is cool. Okay. It's very therapeutic. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm glad it could be a therapy session for you. 
Uh, and then hopefully people learn some stuff too. Got all dark. <laughs> it was a journey. Uh, yes. He had a little vent initially. I'm like, look at him vent. You know what? He needs it. It's yeah. healthy. Let him let him say his piece. Okay. Yeah. No, I think. Well, I, you know, I, I think if you oh, back to the advice. Uh, yes. <laughs> know your worth. I love that. I love because that. I've never. I have always like. I've always been like, I'll just take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. And I had said at one point for years, there was this one film that I did in 2014. I said, this is the worst film I've ever worked on in my entire life. And, I, and for years, like all the years in LA, everything that came since then, I was like, this is the worst film. And if people know, if my friends definitely know which one I was talking about. And, but I got paid really, really, really well for it. And so that was the one thing that came out of it. Like I didn't have to work for nine months after the, I got done with it. Oh. But um, this past one, I did not get paid that well. And I, I remember talking to one of the agents in town. I said, this is the worst film I've ever worked on. And I said, and I said this and the other film are the two worst films I've worked on. And I was like, no, no, this one is. This, I paid well on the other one. I was like, I have it. I'm, like, I'm gonna go out now. Like, this is it. Like, go out on the worst. Uh, it, there's nowhere to go but up. That's, that's, the bar is beyond low right now. And just like little steps back up towards the top. Yeah. But the great thing was that was the first film that I've ever quit. And because I was like, I know my worth. I think you got a phone call or a message and I just saw your facial expression. I just, yeah, it said, yeah, it did came down. Okay. I guess that did not work for me. Um, so uh, yeah, I, um, the, I, I had a real soul search during that time. And I was like, I'm never gonna, I know my worth. I know what I bring to a project. Uh, and also if I can't protect the people that I'm involved with, then I don't want anything to do with it. And so a friend of mine ended up going on to the film and I love him and I trust him. And so that's why I went back, but I will never I'll never name it. You'll never see it in the credits. They keep no, it's fine. But I think this is good, right? And no matter what stage you're at, right? These things happen. And to be able to have the courage to walk away from something that is really not resonating with you and you don't feel that it's worth your time. Again, knowing your worth. I think it's very important that people are aware of that. Yeah. Know your worth, know your boundaries. Like know, know what you want to do because it's your time, it's your life. It's your energy that you're providing to everything that you do. Yeah, I'll never name it. That's uh, okay. It's not on my resume. It's not on, I, they keep trying to add me on IMDb. I keep deleting it. That's hilarious. Uh, I had to write them and say, I, I I'm going to add you on IMDb. You can delete it, but I add everyone. Okay. I don't know. On, uh, on, but you know, on that thing. Um, I, know, I, know. I had to write them a letter and they were like, we need an explanation as to why you don't want your name in the credits. And I just responded, I think you know why. <laughs> so... I just never want to be on your bad side. I feel there is there is just a lot of like, wow. <laughs> and yet I also want to see you in a dark film really badly. Well, you'll see it in installation. Oh, okay. Everyone stay tuned for that. that so they'll hear it next week. More information about that. You'll put it everywhere. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. I expect you to. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for taking the time. Everyone, thank you so much for watching. If your comments and people that are watching or listening afterwards, thank you for that. And yeah, have a good one. Bye. See you later. Bye.